The wealthmanagement.com Advisor Innovations Podcast is sponsored by LPL. As financial advice continues to evolve, LPL is at the forefront. Whether it's growing your RIA or building an independent practice, advisors can pick the business model, services, technology, and product mix that best meets their clients' needs. As a top wealth management firm, 100% dedicated to advisor success, LPL looks forward to learning how they can help you build your tomorrow today. For information and show notes, go visit lpl.com slash advisor innovation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. I'm the editor of wealthmanagement.com. And as you hopefully know by now, because I'm sure you're all diligent listeners of the Advisor Innovations Podcast, this is the podcast that simply gives me an excuse to talk to interesting people in the wealth management space who are moving the industry forward in new and interesting directions. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Colin Falls, the president of GeoWealth, an RIA-focused turnkey asset management platform. Colin, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, David. Really enjoyed being on. Uh, you know, it sounds a little strange to be uh, talking uh, advisor technology, uh, given all the things that are going on in the world. And uh, we were speaking to uh, some other tech firms lately who do, you know, uh, have developers in Ukraine. It realizes that, you know, there's, there's a lot of tech firms that, you know, outsource a lot of their development to Ukraine. I don't know if you do or not. Uh, is there anything that's going on over in that part of the world that's, that's impacting you guys at all? You know, it's a great question. It's not, you know, we do not have engineering or developers in Ukraine, but our engineering hub is actually in Sofia, Bulgaria, which is, you know, it's a, obviously a NATO country, a couple of countries south of there. And so I wouldn't say, you know, obviously, it, I think it, it, it brings it into focus. I think everyone's obviously focused on what's going on in the world. And I think realizing that people in that part of the world are being affected by this and, you know, Bulgaria is not too far. You know, it, it hits home. I, you know, I don't think, you know, to the point of obviously having engineers in Ukraine, but I think it's it's creating awareness that it's a, you know, the world is, it's a small world at this point. And uh, there is a lot of engineering talent, software engineering talent in Eastern Eastern Europe. And I'm sure that there are many companies that are in a similar spot, you know, maybe, maybe not in Ukraine, but in, you know, in Poland or Bulgaria or Romania or others that are realize how close to home this could hit. Yeah, it's a fragile world, right? And I, I mean, you know, we wanted to go a little bit into your background. I know you spent some time in uh, uh, Eastern Europe as a basketball player. I did. I wasn't. I wasn't that far east. So I was. You know, I played at university at University of Notre Dame and ended up going over to Europe for a few years. First in Italy, um, played for a year in Sicily. Ended up actually playing my second year in the Czech Republic and you know, kind of Central Eastern Europe there. So familiar. And you know, I wasn't. I was a, a couple hours east of Prague, and so you know, understand kind of that part of the world and the the effect some of the Soviet oversight had on that part of the world for a long time. And so, you know, obviously thinking about, you know, a lot of, you know, former basketball players or former teammates have played in that part of the world and realized how good the people are. And, and so obviously this hits home a little bit more. Yeah, that's great. Well, we wish the best for everyone over there. Um, so for those are people who aren't familiar, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, give us the 101 on GeoWealth, Turnkey Asset Management Platform, yep. not brand new, been around for a while, but I think increasingly coming into prominence or at least higher visibility. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, turnkey asset management platform is such an interesting term, and it's used in many, many different ways. And it could be everything from truly an in-house, you know, corporate RA that's, you know, calling their home office 
solution attempts to third-party attempts that, that serve broker-dealers to what we consider more enterprise software-focused camps like ourselves. And so, you know, across the spectrum, you know, there's certainly different capabilities and feature sets that are, are extremely valuable. But, but, you know, at our, our core, we're a technology company. And so similar to some of the larger attempts and incumbents in the space, we've built all our own software. And so you alluded to us being around for a while. We've been around about a decade, a little bit over a decade. But when you, you go as wide technologically and as deep as we've gone, there was an extended R&D period. So, you know, really from 2010 to 16, we were heads down building the first version before we went to market. And then really only recently in the last five years, we've commercialized it. And so we've had nice growth, but it's, it's unique in that it's, it's, we've built all the technology ourselves. We're solely focused today on the RA market, uh, which I think is unique. You know, if you think about the, the broader ecosystem of technologies, if I had to make, you know, simplify it, uh, software as a service platforms have focused on the RA channel and turnkey asset management platforms have focused on the broker dealer channel. We bring a hybrid approach of, of SaaS and TAMP to the RA market, which is, which is really our thesis and our differentiator. And so tell me a little bit more about that, because uh, I think for some of us, even in the RIA space, we have a hard time distinguishing, uh, you know, how would you characterize the difference between yourself and say the, your bigger, and I'll say rival, I guess, you know, down the street there in Chicago, uh, InvestNet. I mean, how would you make the, the, the differentiation for someone who is evaluating either option? Yeah, you know, I would say it's hard to, to, you know, succinctly answer that question when they have so many different arms of that business, right? They truly have a SaaS platform, Tamarack. They have, um, you know, a TAMP that serves the broker-dealer channel and their, you know, their traditional TAMP. They have, you know, now Money Guide Pro and all sorts of different mm-hmm. other aspects. And so, they're so broad that to, you know, to, it's almost like, uh, you know, opportunity by opportunity, we can explain the differentiation. But I think, you know, to, to, you know, be as direct as possible, you know, they're a great company. They're serving upstream, very, very large institutions, whether that's, you know, TAMPs or, or I'm sorry, broker dealers, 10, $20 billion plus, or on the Tamarack side, RAs north of a billion dollars. And they've certainly come down, you know, below that, but it's not a focus of theirs. And, you know, we're really built to bring the best of the SaaS technology capabilities and the efficiencies of the TAMP model downstream to kind of that small to mid-sized RA and small to mid-sized corporate platform uh, that needs more than just a SaaS technology or doesn't want to go fully like an independent broker-dealer and have everything run through the same chassis in a TAMP and have the flexibility of, of kind of a hybrid model between software and, and, and outsource services. And, and there are others out there too, right? I mean, SEI, AssetMark, it, it's, it's kind of a crowded space. I guess... Uh, it it is. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's no doubt a crowded space in the broker-dealer channel. Like if you're a 20, 30, 40, 50 billion dollar broker-dealer, you're exposed to all of these different TAMs. I think that if, if you look at it though, and you look specifically at the RA channel, they haven't gotten the uptake or penetration. And I think it's because they're selling more asset management solutions it, it, to the broker-dealer channel where we view our differentiation and capabilities that we're actually selling software infrastructure to RAs they don't want to be told what to do in the asset management side. They want to keep control. And so our role in that is certainly we're acting as a TAMP, but it's advisor driven. And so I don't think that there's a lot of focus or saturation for a SaaS TAMP hybrid in the RA channel that's giving the advisor control to run the business the way that they want to. So what would you consider a, uh, a kind of a, the sweet spot for a geo wealth user in the RA space? Yeah. And, you know, the hard, the, the, the hard part about that is, you know, no RI is the same, but I yeah. think if we had to, you know, it's, it's 
you know, under a couple billion dollars. And it, it just depends on the makeup of the firm. You know, our largest firm, I believe, has $4 billion with us. And so we, we do have multiple firms north of a billion dollars. But I think our sweet spot um, is really more business model driven than it is necessarily size. And so firms that are, you know, have you know, many IARs, have lots of accounts, are using model portfolios, um, have a focus on, you know, client service and marketing and not on putting their technology stack and, and, you know, outsourced operations together is where we've had the most success. And so it's less about the size of the firm and more about, uh, you know, kind of how they choose to run their business. So you're looking uh, for advisors or advisors who might be a good fit with uh, GeoWealth or uh, advisors who are really kind of outsourcing that uh, uh, back office functionality and, and, and focusing more on client service. Absolutely. And I think it lends itself to firms that have a very uh, strong foundation, what their client service model is and what their target market is. And oftentimes I think it's unique in the RA channel that they're actually investing in marketing and these firms are growing very quickly organically, um, which is, you know, pretty, pretty consistent across our client base. So you, uh, I think you had some statistics somewhere that I came across that uh, firms that are using GeoWealth as their TAMP are growing faster than the industry average. Is that a study? They are. And I, yeah, there is. And I don't have that updated. It, it was from last year. And I think, you know, broad strokes, it was something along the lines of, you know, our 10 largest clients had grown from 3 to $10 billion roughly uh, in, a, in a short period of time. I forget if it was 24 to 36 months. But I think what that indicates is, sure, the market's been good the last few years, but it hasn't been that good, right? You haven't seen, you know, 3x growth in the market. And a lot of that's driven by, again, these firms with, a, you know, a dedicated service model and marketing function that are growing faster than your average RA. And, and what that means also is that they need an infrastructure that scales quickly where they're not, you know, they're not focused on scaling up billing or trading or reporting, you know, they're focused on the client onboarding experience and servicing the clients. And so, you know, we view and we're, I think we're going to continue to do more um, research and putting data together around that. But, you know, in general, you know, it lends itself to a faster growing firm. So for years, the idea was that the the breakaway broker, right, the, uh, the broker who left the broker dealer channel to set up their own RAA, uh, did so because they wanted to offer uh, investment solutions that weren't available through the broker-dealer channel or where they were too limited in the broker-dealer channel to offer those investment solutions. But they still all kind of fancied them, not all, I shouldn't say all, but many still fancied themselves as uh, primarily asset management-focused advisors where they, you know, they kind of led with investment management as their value prop with their clients. We're seeing that change. And I think what you're suggesting is you're kind of riding the benefit of that change a little bit. You're not necessarily going for the advisors that think of themselves as uh, uh, investment managers first and foremost, but rather advisors who think of themselves as client service or businesses first and foremost. In a, it, yes, but there's also exceptions to that. And so I think, it, you know, part of that is segmentation. It depends, you know, the size of the firm and what their model is. Are they a corporate RA or are they a smaller mid-sized independent firm? But in, in either circumstance, you know, there, there are definitely scenarios, many scenarios on our, you know, of users on our platform that they have their own investment management thesis and they have their own philosophy and they want to create models their own way. We're agnostic to that. Whether you use a third-party marketplace that we have available, whether you create your own, our value add is, is integrating that in a place where you could scale it efficiently, where you're not focused on those other things, the trading, the reporting, the billing, the aggregation. And, and so whether, you know, you're a, you know, I guess we're agnostic to the investment process to this point, 
And whether you use a third-party marketplace or your own solutions, we're still a, a very good fit. And we have we have scenarios of both, and and we see both sides growing very quickly. Okay, I see. So, could you break it down a little bit for us in terms of the RAs on your platform? What percentage are using their own models and using you to implement them, or what percentage are using the models off of the the platform? Yeah, broad stroke. You know, of our assets under management, which you know, you know, our, I think our twelve thirty one is going to be about eight billion dollars. About half of those are advisor managed, and the other half are third party solutions from our marketplace. Okay, there's a good mix. Um, and the for the third party solutions on your marketplace, what what do those look like? I mean, is it a, a broad uh, broad marketplace there? I mean, who? I, I know you're with some of the, the the larger asset management firms. What if we if we looked at that list? What would we find? So it's it's narrower, and that was done purposely. We didn't want to overwhelm our advisors with options because ultimately, a lot of times they're coming to us looking for recommendations, and it's hard if you have twelve large cap managers to recommend you know one of them. And so. I think that that will evolve for us. And so right now it's, it's primarily a suite of ETF and mutual fund managers with, with, with a handful of SMAs. Um, we actually just brought in a new head of asset management in, in the fourth quarter to run that division, which for us, we haven't invested as much in and we plan to in the future to really build an investment consulting arm to help advisors if they want it. Um, and so I'd expect that to expand significantly, really in all facets, you know, whether it's ETF managers, mutual fund managers, modular portfolios, thematic ESG type solutions, but also significantly expanding our SMA solutions. And so I don't, you know, we're never going to go to the point of having 4,000 managers on the platform, but instead of having a few dozen, I could see us getting, you know, to, you know, a hundred or so, you know, in, in pretty short. It strikes me that I have no idea if this is on the roadmap or if you're planning on doing something about it, but I would be interested in knowing in your data set there, you could easily compare advisors who are running their own investments versus the performance of advisors who are running some of the, I guess, for lack of a better word, professionally managed asset management portfolios and, and see, you know, who is doing better. Right. And, and I bring that up. Yeah. Well, I bring that up because the, 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 the thesis is that, uh, you know, independent advisors, great with their clients, great customer service, very much a, a, a relationship oriented people love the kind of the, the, the financial planning aspect of what they do, but probably shouldn't be juggling the knives of, of portfolio management. I know not all of them, some of them do, but the idea is that, you know, leave the investment management to the investment management professionals and the advisor should be doing what advisors do best. Yeah, it, 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 look, I, I generally agree with you on that, but I think we're also agnostic because, because some advisors that value, you know, view that as their value proposition. And if they have strong conviction on managing money a certain way or having certain exposures, you know, we don't want to you know, be in their way on that. And I think that philosophical standpoint, you know, we are modern portfolio theory and we're going to be more strategic asset allocation, but we support all comers on this, right? And so, you know, back to kind of your, your comment on could we compare strategic asset allocation versus tactical managers versus advisor managed portfolios, we could. And I think that we could broadly generalize themes, but I, I think we'd stay away from trying to, um, you know, compare too closely, uh, especially because when you think about things like suitability, how, how, you know, how clients, you know, are profiled to different risk profiles, is their dispersion from their composites because of extenuating circumstances, all of things, those things, types of things, you know, come into play when you have such a large data set and we have 125,000 accounts on the platform. And so I think that there's themes in, in that we, we could understand, but, you know, at the same time, I don't, I don't view a world, especially in the, in the independent RA channel 
where everyone's going to do one, you know, everything the same way that everyone's going to use a Vanguard passive model. I just, I, I don't, you know, that that's not why they became independent. Mm-hmm. And, and as much as I think they should be focusing on the service side and being in front of their clients, you know, being, you know, aware of the markets and having a, a point of view on it is, is part of, of the job description. And so I don't, I don't see that changing. Yeah. And you're totally right. And I could even see a scenario or, or a thesis where the pendulum is swinging back in the other direction, right? Uh, where, you know, as more and more advisors kind of begin to peddle these sort of bland vanguard buckets of ETFs, not differentiated from one another, an advisor could stand out from the crowd by offering a unique investment solution, you know, and this gets us into maybe ESG or direct indexing kind of things. Any thoughts around uh, uh, direct indexing or, or ESG investing, where that's going, how advisors re- react to that? I found what I considered in, um, you know, I call it tech enabled SMAs, right? And because, because all, if you think about it, you know, what they're, what all of these firms are doing, and there's some really good companies in this space, whether it's tax, whether it's custom indexing, whether it's ESG, there's some notion of taking an SMA and using technology to to affect the portfolio, right? Whether that's allowing for you know, tax efficiencies, whether that's allowing for preferences and factors. And so technology is playing a role in it. I think from my standpoint, the gap in it is the ease of execution right now. And if you think about all of these companies and you can name them all, you're going to their ecosystem, whether you're using a SaaS platform or using a TAMP, you're often going to an independent ecosystem or silo to invest in these different channels. And I think these channels are going to continue to be very relevant. Our view on this is how do we take the best of their technology and their capabilities and integrate them into our solution where you don't have to leave. And so that's going to be our focus. And, you know, we're going to be announcing a tax partnership or a tax technology integration in the second quarter. Uh, and, and the idea is you never leave our ecosystem. And I think that there's going to be enormous value in that. And, and, you know, it, it'd be naive of us to ignore the custom indexing or the ESG. And so those are all going to be on our roadmap. And it's going to be a function for us of, you know, build, buy or rent. And I could see us doing different things in different kind of channels there. They're all going to be relevant. But, but but backing up, I do view that to be a higher net worth investor than is the traditional user of a TAMP. And so I still believe our core business where the end mass affluent client is going to be using more model portfolios you know, similar to what's available in the industry. And I think these will be more a la carte based on higher net worth clients. Okay. But you still have them on the roadmap, at least in, in some degree. And, and uh, it sounds like your idea is to somehow bring them underneath the umbrella of GeoWealth as opposed to um, sending the folks out to another solution. Yeah, I just think you lose scale in efficiencies when you do that. Like you like think about if you have to have 20% of your book the business at your tech technology SMA and you have to have 20% of your business at your, you know, custom indexing and there's certainly some crossover between those. If you can have it still in your central operating system and get the same solutions and value, that that's our our vision and view of it. And so first for us is tech, you know, I think custom indexing ESG will be kind of next on that roadmap. And they're intertwined, obviously. Yeah, yeah, that's great. There's no names of any uh, potential acquisitions or partnerships that you might be thinking about yet? Not on acquisitions. On partnerships, there are. Can't announce it yet, but but excited to announce it here shortly. Okay. Yeah, I guess the reason I ask is we know the recent $19 million uh, uh, funding that just, I guess, was a couple months ago, last year. Uh, yep. It was, uh, raised, fall in November, yep. I think it was announced. November of 21. Yep. So raised $19 million, you know, and that's 
and I guess that that's one reason why I say, you know, you guys have been around for a long time, but only recently kind of becoming a little bit more visible. Prior to that, you had a single investor, right? A family office in Wichita, I believe. We do. And they are still the, the majority investor on the significant majority of the business. And with their patient capital, we've been able to build, I think, a unique solution. And I, and I think that part of it is if you think about the history of build versus commercialization, you don't see many portfolio accounting systems out there or UMA or sleeving capabilities because it's really hard to build, right? And so there's only a handful of them. And then you see others licensing the different portfolio accounting systems. And, and candidly, that was you know what we were building in the early years as we kind of identified the RA market is, is where we wanted to operate. Were you originally um, built for this family office? No. Okay. Uh, the family office made an investment. Actually, they, they were incubating this idea of a fully, and obviously things, you know, morph and change, but, but, you know, from, from a fundamental standpoint, it stayed similar. It was to build a single integrated ecosystem to, to serve the financial advisory market. And I don't even think the idea back then of like SAS versus TAMP was really contemplated. It was more, could you build an integrated ecosystem where an advisor ran their book of business? And uh, we went live in 2010. Uh, actually by investing and in, in acquiring an RA that was a wholly owned subsidiary until 2017 or 2018 before we, we divested of them. And so for the first seven or eight years of our existence, we had live, you know, live clients, live dollars, uh, live, you know, advise, you know, 40 plus advisors by the end of it. And we were getting real feedback. And so we were able to grow that firm from a hundred, $150 million to a couple billion dollars before we divested of them. And it allowed us to, I think, really get to a, you know, a V2 of the platform and a solution that was market ready uh, by the time we started attracting you know, independent clients uh, in, in 2016. So what are the plans for the $19 million? What do you plan on using that money for? Is it going to be more technology build out, maybe marketing? Where does the, the money go? I know you've been making some hires recently. Yeah, so great, great. It's a great question. The, um, you know, we, we did our Series A round about three years ago, and, you know, we had invested in technology and operations to that point up until the end of 2018 and really had uh, no marketing or distribution function. And so as part of that round, we started building out that capability. And really, this, this recent round, the Series B round, is an acceleration everywhere. But if you had to, if you had to break into two primary categories, it's, it's distribution and product. And so, uh, on the distribution side, you know, we've hired very quickly. We have an eight-person distribution team that's all in place, uh, that was all in place at the beginning of this year. And so the idea is to get the word out and interact with more advisors. Um, we're ramping up our marketing. You know, we're dealing internally. Uh, our marketing spend this year will be four or five X what it was last year. And so on the distribution side, it's, it's building a brand, being exposed to more advisors, and really um, being aggressive about market share. And then the other half of kind of the use of proceeds is is product. And so I alluded to part of that being building out our investment product function. And, you know, it's never going to be the dominant capability in our business, but it's something we want to build out to support advisors. And so we hired a head of asset management and she, Jen Wing, will be, you know, incrementally building out that team and building an investment consulting program for advisors. But the big spend on the product is, is you know, the arms race of technology. And so, you know, prior to the round, I think we had 30 in product and engineering. We're going to double that. We've already started to. And that never ends, right? If you think about the, you know, the trajectory of the business, we're going to continue to invest in product and engineering because it's a, you know, it's an arms race and there's, you know, there's really good technology companies in space. Um, we've gone wide. We need to continue to go deep. And then we need to think about kind of the integrations on the fringes. 
Do you have a balance between, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, and, and it's, it's very true, all RIAs are unique. Uh, you know, being a service provider to an RIA is not necessarily doing the same thing for another RIA, uh, just because their needs are so different uh, or can be different. Uh, the idea of scaling a business like yours across that landscape where there is so much customization and so much personalization, is there a, a, a balance there and how do you approach it? There is. And I think that the, when you start going, so, so generally speaking, um, model portfolios is what is creating scale and efficiencies in our business. And so a user that is using model portfolios in some regard is a good fit for us. And so that is how I think about going across the RA market. When you start thinking about customization, you know, there's different ways to run models, whether it's, you know, dynamic models or, you know, tolerance band models. But generally speaking, you could put technology around it uh, to make that very scalable. I think that the, the bigger challenge, the bigger challenge are, are things like, you know, custom portfolios for each client and custom indexing. And, you know, there's good technology out there to do it. But I also think that there's challenges that come with it for the advisor. You know, they want to invest in, um, you know, you know, process. And there's going to be scenarios where every one of their clients have different portfolios or different, you know, and so there's dispersion and it's going to be hard to measure against, you know, I guess, you know, your standard model portfolio or stat standard investment philosophy. And so, you know, I, companies are going to continue to push the limits there. I think that that's a good thing. I do think, you know, customization at scale is, is you know, kind of, you know, the holy grail in this place. And I think they will incrementally move there. But foundationally, you could you could just use model portfolios as you know, kind of the foundational piece of how we you know scale across the entire industry, or yeah. across the RA industry. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, listen, Colin, this has been great. Uh, I, I think I've kept you a little longer than I intended to, but uh, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and and thanks for the introduction to uh, Geo Wealth. Good luck on the future endeavor. We look forward to uh, the future announcements, and uh, hope to see you uh, in person on the road at some point here soon. That sounds great, David. Thanks for having me on today. And you've been listening to the Advisor Innovations Podcast. I'm David Armstrong. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. LPL Financial is a separate entity from and not affiliated with wealthmanagement.com.